Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the host of this program. I'm a collaborative family lawyer and a mediator, and I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce. And my guest today is Alexis Neely. Alexis is an attorney, an entrepreneur, and a single mom. After divorcing her husband in 2005, she went on to build a million-dollar law practice specifically because of how she handled her divorce, which is awesome. Today, she and her ex-husband live together and co-parent their children harmoniously, even though anyone looking at their divorce in 2005 would have said that never would have been possible. Alexis, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so glad that you're supporting people to divorce differently. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what you are doing and what's unique about it. Yeah. So today I train lawyers on a new law business model that I created when I was in private practice. And part of that new law business model is really helping lawyers to create practices that help families come together, support more resolution through the legal system rather than more conflict. And when I got divorced back in 2005, I was building my own law practice, my first business. And I remember that my husband and I at the time, first of all, he was very angry. He did not want to get divorced. And he was the stay-at-home dad in our family. And, you know, I remember how important it was to me that we not go through a conflict process, if at all possible, but he was angry and scared and he really didn't trust me. So he did insist that we each get our own lawyers. I'm sure you see a lot of that, you know, where, where at least one of the people is, you know, angry and scared. Well, I think that I think usually both people are, are angry and scared on some level. One person may be exhibiting more of the symptoms or be yeah. more in touch with that level of anger and fear. And, and especially yeah. if it's 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 usually the person whose choice it is not to end the yeah. marriage. And I am personally and professionally extremely familiar with that situation. And so it sounds like, though, you were able to somehow connect in a conversation that led you in a different direction than just hiring lawyers and heading off on that path. Well, not really. That's what's really kind of amazing about the whole thing, I think, is that you know, he was very insistent that we each get our own lawyers. I would have, you know, preferred some sort of just, you know, mediated situation, but he had interests to protect. And so he wanted to have legal representation. But fortunately, we did choose to work with collaborative lawyers. And I'm not sure. I imagine that you're familiar with the collaborative Absolutely. Uh, That's paradigm. a big part of my practice. Yeah. And so what was nice about that is that, you know, in that paradigm, the lawyers agree that no matter what, they will not participate in a litigation. So if we can't come to resolution, we would have to find completely new lawyers. So that was really good. And yet there was this way that I still saw how the lawyers were financially incentivized and in some way, I think because of that, and I unfortunately see this all too frequently, they were kind of keeping the conflict going beyond when I think that it was necessary. And 
There was a point in time when I got a very clear message. You know, I was really praying for guidance. Please, you know, help me see what to do here because I can't continue in this conflict. It was, you know, really negative forensic accountants and, you know, just every time we would, you know, get in the room together, so much fighting. And so I got this clear message, you know, from spirit or whatever that said, ask him what he needs to be safe and then give him whatever it is. And that was a really scary thought because I was, you know, really in this mindset of he's going to take advantage of me. And so to ask him what he needed in order to be safe and then just give him whatever that was didn't seem like that would be very safe for me. But I, you know, I I did take it as a, a message from spirit. And so I did it. And what he said that he needed in order to be safe was $4,000 a month. And at the time, I didn't have an extra $4,000 a month. I was building my law practice and didn't feel like I had any extra. So mm-hmm. where was I going to come up with $4,000 a month? But I agreed anyway. I said, yes, okay. If that's what it takes for you to be safe and be able to co-parent our kids, I'll do it. And I remember after that time, after I said that I would do it, which he would not have been, I do not believe that that's what he would have received if we would have gone into a court situation. I remember his lawyer was trying to nickel and dime, was trying to to push for, you know, more. And I can't remember what the specific details about it were now, but I was really surprised because here I was saying yes to $4,000 a month, which is far more than he I'm sure would get in, you know, in a court type situation. And yet here was his lawyer who was pushing for more. And I couldn't help but feel at that time that she was doing that and kind of preying on his insecurity and his desire to get as much as he possibly could in order to keep billing more fees. Because she wasn't on any sort of a flat fee arrangement. She had really no financial incentive to resolve things as quickly as possible, although she did have a commitment through the collaborative law process to seek resolution, it just really occurred to me at that time, it probably wasn't the first time, but once again, how misaligned the financial model that lawyers use often is with their clients' true best interest. I think that's and a really... it ultimately gets a resolution. Yeah. Go ahead. That's a really good point. And you've said a lot there, Alexa. So I really want to just tease yeah. out a couple of things because one is obviously sure. this disconnect between the financial interests of the lawyer, even when disqualified from litigating as lawyers are in the collaborative process, even so, even though everyone is working together to reach a settlement, a more drawn out settlement is financially better for the lawyer and less good for the client. I mean, that's very black and white, and it strips away a tremendous amount of nuance that is in that process, but just plainly speaking. So that's that's one thing. And that Even in the collaborative process where nobody is going to litigate, there was, in your reporting, a a kind of an adversarial feeling between you and your husband's lawyer that injected even more kind of unpleasantness into the negotiation, especially after, and this is really the first part of what you said and what I think is really, really meaningful, and that is when you were struggling in the conflict of coming apart and ending your marriage, you still had the courage to reach inside yourself and ask honestly and openly for help, you know, finding what would really make your former husband feel okay, and then actually offer that to him. 
And so you took that tremendously courageous step to say, I will give you what you need, even though I don't know how I'm going to do it, right? I will find a way to do it and then to be asked for more, (laughs) right? Yeah, and, and more for like little things, you know? It's just, I remember this feeling of like, wow, they're really nickel and diming me after, but there's very generous yes that I'm giving. And, you know, he's easy prey in a way. Prey may not be fully the right word, but he was very vulnerable in that time because he was the economically disempowered spouse. And he had, you know, a lot of fear about what would happen, you know, once through divorce. And I just, you know, feeling this lawyer kind of, it felt like take advantage of that to the detriment of our family as a whole, just, it felt really bad. And it, it really reinforced for me the need for us to realign lawyers' economic interests with their clients' economic interests. So this is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm talking with Alexis Neely, and we're talking about Alexis's experience going through her own divorce, collaborative divorce, and what it these are my words, Alexis, but what it helped you realize about the practice of law and lawyering and also about what it meant to go through the divorce and really reach inside yourself and find what's most important for you and your family and go with that even yeah. when it's scary to do so. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this financial model that you've referenced a couple of times. What is it that yeah. you learned and what have you done with it? Well, what I learned is that lawyers and, and by the way, I learned this in my own personal practice as well, because I was building a law practice at the time, and, and my practice wasn't in divorce, it was in estate and business planning. And I was really looking for new pricing models, because I could feel in myself as well how the traditional hourly model did not incentivize me to be more efficient on behalf of my clients. And a lot of the ways that legal billing was set up were just even in a practice like a state or business planning were set up so that the lawyer's interest and the client's interest weren't truly aligned, that there was a subtle way that, that lawyers, even who have, you know, very pure intentions and a good heart, are financially incentivized sometimes to not do the right thing by their clients. And it can be very hard for a lawyer to separate those things out. So I ultimately did create a new pricing model for my own practice that aligned my interests with my clients' interests and rewarded me for efficiency in systems. And, and you know, I really see the same thing needed in the divorce arena. That's not specifically the arena that I practice in. But my hope is, is that, that that will begin to, if it has not already been, and perhaps you can tell us if it has been, that that will be more integrated, ongoing, where the divorce lawyers are really rewarded for reaching resolution more quickly rather than being rewarded financially for drawing out the conflict. I think that there's a little bit of that in the in the divorce world, but it's definitely not the prevalent model for billing as it isn't in most of the legal profession. And I do agree with you that it is probably a great idea because sometimes clients need to feel like they can call their lawyer. Right. They need yeah. that. They need that emotional connection. They need the information that the lawyer, mm-hmm. they could really benefit from a conversation, but they hold back from it because they don't want to, sp- right. to spend the money and they hold back and then they don't get the help that they need. And then sometimes they resent that they're getting the help that they need because it's expensive to do it. And if there was some agreement ahead of time as to how this was going to be paid, what it was going to cost, what was going to be paid when, and it was really very transparent from the very beginning, I think that would really benefit 
clients and lawyers to be able to manage their expectations and work together to find a resolution as quickly. And I mean, for some people, quick isn't necessarily better. Clearly, when you're in the midst of it, trying to get it over with feels like sooner would be better. But sometimes people need some time to process, but still it would permit that sense of timing to be customized to the individual family. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that's what I did in, in my practice. And that's what I do teach that to lawyers now. And I and I have met some divorce lawyers that are moving towards more of a flat fee staged model for divorce whenever that's possible. But I, I think that the important thing here for anybody going through a divorce to know, especially if you are the moneyed spouse, you know, the one with the resources and the ability to earn money, is that my biggest takeaway from this is that by giving my spouse more than I even thought that I had, I was able to go on to build a million-dollar business. And I think I was able to do that because I moved through the divorce, I got beyond the conflict, and I was very personally incentivized to earn more money as a result, because now I had this big obligation to my ex. And what I see a lot of people do in the face of divorce is they actually shrink their earning power in order to keep the other spouse from having anything. So they put themselves in financially distressed situations in order to avoid paying child support or alimony in a big amount. And my encouragement is just to to kind of do the opposite. Well, um, I think that's true also. That's also true yeah. for the non-moneyed spouse. You know, should I work, mm-hmm. you know, now or should I just wait and see how much I can get? And, you know, it's my yeah. belief. I mean, and I think this is, I mean, not always conscious, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think sometimes there is a consciousness to it. I think sometimes there's also an unconsciousness to it as well. Oh, yeah. But from both sides, you know, from my perspective, when I'm working with a non-moneyed spouse or a dependent spouse, I want that person to go out and get a job and find a career because they're going to be happier, you know, in the end and financially much stronger, even if it means they get less in the same way that even for you, even if it meant that you paid more, that it's much more positive and it moves the individual forward in their lives in a much better way. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And I'm really glad that you're talking to your clients about that and helping them with that because it is very unconscious. And I actually do see how there is a way that my paying this amount to my ex-husband actually hurt him because he didn't go out and get a job. And he didn't find his own way in the world to create the happiness that I think that he could have created if he would have found his own self-reliance. And of course, his lawyer you know, wasn't wise enough to be speaking to him about these things. And so I do think, you know, it really, it, it just, again, speaks to how important it is to choose well when you're choosing your lawyer who's not, you know, just going to be focused on how much you can get or how you can give as little as possible, but is going to be seeing the longer term implications for the decisions that you make during divorce on your whole life, on your self-esteem, on your ability to, to earn money in the future and, and your ability to be happy in the future as well. So I'm really glad you're talking about that with your clients. I think that's really good advice that what you're saying is to really not only choose your lawyer, but think about the divorce as part of the context of your overall life, right? It's not just backwards looking, it's forwards looking. And the divorce is the intersection between what was and what will be, as I guess every moment in our lives is. This is a big one yeah. and one that we focus on a lot. And to be able to do it open-heartedly and do it with wholeheartedly and endorse in ourselves and in each other what's positive instead of really focusing on the negative and the resentment and the anger is yeah. is crucial to a good outcome, not just in the divorce, but for life. 
And for your kids too, you know, I'm in this interesting situation where I'm, I'm actually working with a couple of people right now who are in the divorce process, not as their lawyer, but more as a coach consultant type person helping them to move through the conflict. And I am seeing in, in one situation there, I'm, I'm working with the woman who actually has quite a bit of family assets and her husband is trying to get access to these inherited assets. And she is really dug in. And unfortunately, again, I'm seeing a situation where her lawyers, I think, are escalating the conflict, preying on her fear, digging her in even more, which is really heartbreaking. Because in this case, the ones who are the most impacted are the children. Her son has, in fact, developed some anxiety disorders that I believe are a direct result of how, you know, his mom and probably his dad, too. I'm not involved in that side, but you know, how they are dealing with the divorce. And it's really painful to watch because the parents are so stuck in their positions that they can't see that the money, money comes and goes. Money is actually an infinite energy. There's plenty of it out there. And what doesn't come or go is how you use your energy and the impact that that energy has on the long-term health, not only of your children, but of their children and, you know, on and on for generations. And so it's so painful to see where, you know, these matters really do affect the kids. So much. Without their parents really understanding it. Yeah. And how people will sacrifice the priceless resource of their children's well-being for money, which is never about the money. It's always about yeah. what that money represents for something else. So, Alexis, I want to make sure to give people an opportunity to be able to reach you. I mean, you've talked about so many different ways in which you're helping, but give us your contact information, if you would. Sure. My main website is alexisneely.com, N-E-E-L-Y.com. And from there, you can you know, find all the various things that I'm doing with lawyers, training them on a new law business model and working with people to build their lives and income awake, aware and on their terms. And that you know, affects everything from how you have a relationship with time, money and how you get paid and how you resolve things like conflicts in your life from a place of consciousness and awareness, really understand the greater implications. Alexis Neely, you talked earlier in the program about how you reached inside yourself and asked spirit to guide you to a better place or a stronger place to resolve the conflict. How did you do that? I was in a hotel room one night. I'd been traveling and I was at an event and I just remember the weight of the divorce really landing on me and the weight of this conflict landing on me. And, you know, I didn't really grow up with spirituality or religion very much. And yet I felt this prayer coming through that, you know, the prayer was basically show me the way, give me the answer that I need here. What can I do to resolve this? And it wasn't a prayer for any specific outcome. It was really just a prayer for guidance. Show me the way, show me the way, show me the way. And that is when this clear message came through that said, ask him what he needs in order to be safe and then give it to him. And it was really this loud voice, you know, not from outside of me, from, from within me. It felt easy to ignore or to put aside because I, I felt it was risky. You know, he was going to take advantage of me or um, he was going to ask for more than I had, which, you know, he did, or hmm. that I wasn't going to have it. And you know, as I wrestled with that, I, I remember this feeling of just being aware that I can always make more. I can always make more. And in fact, that my creativity would be inspired by 
the conflict being released because being in conflict was holding me back in so many ways. It was weighing on me. It was taking so much energy to be in this conflict. And when I freed up that energy, so much was able to come through. And so I just, you know, would love to encourage everybody that's listening here that may be stuck in a conflict to recognize that it's being in the conflict that is taking from you. And that is your choice. You can end the conflict. Um, it might require you to give more than you think you have, but it is so worth it because what you receive back on the other side is far greater than you're holding on to now. You know, it's interesting what you're saying, Alexis, because I think, yes, there is a very big element to letting go of the conflict that is freeing. But I think there's another thing here, and that's the act of generosity, that yeah. letting go of the conflict with an act of generosity frees you for greater things. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, it's really huge. Yeah, it is. And I really, I really appreciate your ability to articulate the experience of really being desperate to let go of the, the conflict, to have it be over, and how that drove you to a place that was really unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it happen other times as well. Since then, I've had the opportunity to, to work with a couple of people who are in different kinds of conflicts, not divorces, but a, a business partnership breakup and state matter uh, with their dad's estate. And in both cases where I worked with these people and helped them to release the conflict and give, give more than they thought they had to give, what they saw on the other side was similar returns to what I saw. One woman called me after an event she had, or she texted me and she said, Alexis, I get it. I get what you're doing here. I just sold a million dollars worth of programs at my event. And I never would have been able to do that if I had still been in this conflict. And another situation where a man sold his business for a million dollars, it's interesting that these are all million-dollar situations, sold his business for a million dollars after he had been stuck in a conflict and released the conflict. And when I met with him, heard that he had sold his business, I said, something, you know, changed between now and when we last talked. What was it? And he had to think back. He couldn't really remember. But when he did, when he thought back, he realized that what preempted that was a deep process that he went through of, of releasing the conflict that he was in. And on the other side of it, a few months later, he was greatly rewarded. So it takes an act of faith to do it uh, because we can't necessarily see how the reward will come, but it does. It comes. And holding on to the negative and the fear is really so counterproductive, even in thinking about the opportunities that you have to reach settlement that if you look at it from a place of negativity and of lack, then you only see very limited possibilities. And it actually makes it so much harder to resolve the conflict in a way that you can feel at all okay about. Yeah. And so even if you ultimately get to settlement, you know, they sometimes say that the best settlement is one where both parties feel like they're losing. I hate that expression. Uh, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> You yeah. know, it's the worst because that's not what opens you up to the possibilities of your next future. And that is what you're standing on the precipice of. You're on the precipice of, of the rest of your life. And if you can look at this as an opportunity to open up to something greater by letting go of what you think you need to hold on to, just so much more comes your way. So, Well, where do you think you so found the courage? Where do you think you found the courage to do it? I, I don't know, honestly. I think it was a deeper belief in myself that, that I had creative reserves that were being blocked. I think it was true faith 
really. As I said, I wasn't a super spiritual person, um, and yet I became one. And so, so that, that true faith of, of knowing that, that there really is enough in the world. And really, in many ways, I had to stop listening to a lot of the people around me. <laughs> Because a lot of the people around me were encouraging me to dig in and fight. And that's the traditional paradigm that you're going to see reflected back to you because people are generally afraid. Yeah, in my my profession, we call that the Greek chorus. And the Greek chorus always has, I think, your best interests at heart, but they often have really bad advice. (laughs) Well, they're afraid. They're coming from that fear paradigm. And, you know, I recently uh, watched this movie, Joy, about a woman entrepreneur and her family and Anyway, it's a great movie to watch because you can see so clearly how this woman has so much gumption and so much gusto to go out and build her business, and yet her family is unintentionally sabotaging her at every turn. Alexis Nitley, it's been a pleasure to have you on Dialogue on Divorce. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you.